Well, good morning. Good morning. You may be seated. And again, thank you, Tina. Thank you, Neil, for that wonderful prayer and the reading of scripture. And, and indeed, what a, what a blessing it is. As, as Neil mentioned in his prayer, we get the privilege. Uh, it's not that God, God needs it as much as we get the opportunity and the privilege uh, to worship him uh, in song and in looking at uh, the scripture that God has given to us. So again, I call your attention to Romans chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21. Romans 10, 14 through 21. Um, now last week, obviously, we, uh, we, we had a pause in our series as we looked at, looked at the, the letter to the Roman church. So we had the privilege of celebrating Easter. I would say that Easter is the most important day in my spiritual life, to know that we indeed serve a risen Savior. Uh, and if Christ be not risen from the dead, we of all people would be the most miserable. So indeed, we, we come this morning celebrating that Jesus is risen. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we heard a wonderful message from Colin Hughes uh, on the first half of Romans chapter 10. Colin went through Romans 10, 1 through 13. Love the title of his message. It was a simple gospel. A simple gospel. And what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to double down on that theme because he's really paved the path that really takes us through the balance of Romans chapter 10. Uh, the, the, the topic that I've uh, chosen to, to speak to is what I call the message. The gospel, the simple gospel is all about the message. So here's what's going on. Let's look at the context in which Paul is writing. You know, he, Paul is going back and forth in the book of Romans. He's addressing a church that is composed of both Jews and non-Jews. The Gentiles. And in Romans 9, chapter 9 through Romans chapter 11, it seems that Paul turns the spotlight, the inspired spotlight, on the Jewish people. And he's speaking to them, and he's, he's trying to drive home a critical point that they need to understand, and certainly everyone else who calls upon the name of Christ needs to understand. And it's simply this, that justification is by faith alone. It's a message that is anchored in the righteousness of Christ, that is imputed to redeemed sinners that have been justified by the work of Christ alone through faith alone. That's the essence of the simple gospel, the divine message that redemption is available to all people who were once spiritually dead and must be born again to dwell with God for all of eternity. I, I truly pray that's your aspiration. And if there's anyone here among us this morning that has doubts, that has questions about what it means to be united with Christ, please see me or one of our elders or one of our leaders afterwards, and we'd love to have the opportunity 
to talk with you about the simple gospel, the message that Jesus Christ came to share. Now, uh, this message was a, a great mystery until Christ came at the right time to declare that he, that he alone was the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption, which was determined before the world was even, even created. Justification by faith alone was indeed a surprising message to many, but especially to the nation of Israel. Even for those Jews who had accepted that Jesus was the promised Messiah, and they were starting to understand and grow in their understanding of how justification by faith alone works, but they were still struggling, still struggling to fully understand the impact, the full impact of this great doctrine. But along with this doctrinal divide, there, there was a great amount of stress being experienced by the Jewish converts because of another change that was taking place. God was choosing non-Jews to carry forth his message to the world. He was calling us, the Gentiles. And a key emphasis of how Paul closes out this second half of chapter 10 is to contrast the failure of Israel to understand the message from God, so he had to turn to non-Jews who had indeed heard that message and accepted the call to proclaim it. And as we're gonna see here in just a few minutes, I think it's very important to, to look at the second half of Romans 10. And, and for me, it's, it's really a practical aspect of a very deep doctrine that Christ, that Paul was, was trying to get across. It, it's a very practical aspect. And I think uh, verse 15 really kind of sums that up for us. It's a verse that I think many of us have heard. Unfortunately, it's probably been misinterpreted in a way. We'll, we'll get into that. But here's what Romans 10, verse 15 says again. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who are called to proclaim the good news. Now, it's not that the feet themselves were beautiful. I went down at my feet and I'm so glad God invented shoes. Because <laughs> I've got ugly feet. But it wasn't that the feet themselves were beautiful. It's that the message the message is so beautiful that those who come bringing it are considered to be beautiful, even their feet. Now, it's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul uses the image of feet in discussing how the gospel is to be carried forward. During Paul's time, walking was the primary means of transportation for the vast majority of those who were traveling. People just, they just walked wherever they needed to go. We didn't hop in cars, we didn't get on our scooters, didn't get our, grab out our bicycles. Guess what we did? We walked where we had to go. Now, now up to this point in time, uh, walking was kind of difficult. You didn't walk very far for very long. 
until a change started to be made with the Roman Empire. And it had to do with this fact that Rome invested heavily in the building of roads throughout the empire. I've been reading a little historical fiction novel that's been set around that time frame by a guy named Steve Pressfield. And Steve had a lot to say about the Romans' roads. He said, Rome built roads. There's a picture of one. Now, look at that picture. This is a road. This is a real road in ancient times. It wasn't some rut that you had to try to straddle between. These were hard-surfaced highways that stretched throughout the empire. And Presswood would say that the Roman engineers made crooked path straight and precipitous paths level. Not only did they do that, Pressfield would go on to say you know, this about the impact of the Roman roads on civilization. He said, such then were the alterations that the Roman conquest had upon the landscape of Syria and Judea. Check this out. But the most important revolutionary impact of these Roman roads was mail, M-A-I-L, the daily post. Before the Romans came, the Israelite in Bethlehem had to live out his days in ignorance of the wider world. His universe ended at the town gate. That is, until Rome built the, road, the roads. And when they built the roads, came the mail. And when the mail came, it brought the message of the world. When the mail came, it presented the means for those who were in authority to get the message out. So what did God do? God used the Roman to build the roads. And in building the roads, it facilitated the, 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 the message of the gospel to be spread throughout the entire empire. Now, just to highlight the extensiveness of the Roman roadway system, uh, I've taken the opportunity to do a Google map to, try, to map out what a route using the Romans road would look like. That's pretty impressive, right? You could go anywhere in the empire facilitated by the roadway system that Rome had put together. Rome built over 50,000 miles of roadways throughout the system. By an act of comparison, the US interstate highway that we're all familiar with has just a little over 46,000 miles of roads. This was quite extensive. And roads would play an important role in the Roman church because the Roman church members were on the move. And that's a key context of Paul's letter. The, the early Roman church was caught up in strong conflict, both internally and externally. Externally, there was the conflict with the Romans. 
In AD 49, the Roman emperor Claudius kicked all of the Jews, Christian Jews, non-Christian Jews, he kicked them all out of, the, out of Rome over a dispute that had arisen between the Jews and the Christians about Christ. He kicked them out. Fearing that the, the Jews were insurrectionists, Claudius banished all the Jews, including the Christian Jews, from Rome. Interesting enough, this included Priscilla and Aquila. I mean, famous people in the Bible, especially in Paul's ministry. They fled to Corinth, and that's where they first engaged the apostle Paul. And I think that's significant. Uh, coming from Rome, sitting now at the feet of the great apostle so that he could disciple them. And they stayed with him several years until Claudius was replaced and there was a new emperor in the empire. This is when Nero came to the throne. He turned out to be a big problem as well later on. So the Jews started coming back to Rome in AD 54. And as they came back, Priscilla and uh, Aquila were among them. Now, it's interesting. Here's an interesting dynamic. The, Romans were, the, the Jews were kicked out. But guess who remained to make up the church that was in Rome? The non-Jewish Christians, the Gentiles. Uh, they remained there in Rome. Uh, but, but an interesting side effect happened because at that time, the Jewish Christians were the leaders of the church. Uh, they were the ones overseeing the, the synagogues. They were the ones, in essence, overseeing the discipleship program. But now they're gone. And these, these Gentiles are left there going, well, who's going to teach us now? And so I think that's part of the reason that Paul, understanding some of the struggles that they were going through, uh, that he had to, to write to them in preparation of his visit, and so around A.D. 57 is, is when the Jews started coming back and, and Paul wrote his letter. And I think that as the church continued to, to come back together, that internal conflict that was going on between Jews and Gentiles was still there. It was still simmering and, and bubbling up. So, so Paul wrote his letter to instruct the Gentiles and to address errors by the Jewish nation. And core to this conflict was the subject of the basic nature of justification and the means by which God would use sinners and how he would use them to carry out the message of the gospel. So again, I appreciate Collins' sermon on on Romans 10, uh, verses 1 through 13. And since it's been a couple weeks since we've looked at that, let me just pick out two points uh, from verses 1 through 13 that I, I think really make a great transition into 14 through 21. Here's the first one. When you look at verses 1 through 7, I think this theme of misunderstanding the gospel pops out to us. Misunderstanding the gospel. Why? because of ignorance. Here's what Paul writes in verse three. 
verse 3 of, of chapter 10, from being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Ignorance is a deadly, a deadly enemy of the message. It was not only through their willful eagerness that the vast majorities of the Jews had missed the heart of the message from God, they had missed the understanding totally that justification comes by faith alone. And this is to people who had been given the law and the prophets, but they had totally missed the point. Paul is saying, ignorance. Second, look at verses 8 through 13. I really call that the heart of the message of the simple gospel. And what was it that they had totally missed? It was this. By trusting in the righteousness of Christ alone, you will be saved. That is the gospel message. Paul's plainly states, starting in verse 8, I'm going to read verses 8 and 9 of Romans 10. But what does it say? The, world, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Verse number 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the simple gospel. There's a belief that reflects the heart that has been transformed, and that transformed heart naturally bubbles up with the fact that Christ is Lord. And if that's you, then you're saved. And the Jews were struggling with that simple essence of the message of the gospel. Ignorance leads to disobedience. Disobedience leads to death. And indeed, the Jews had misunderstood the message, and Paul was addressing this fatal mistake with charity and with love. So let's look at verses 12 to verses 14 through 21. Now, now here's how I would summarize Romans 10. Verse 10, verses 14 through 21. There's, there's three major headings that we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, verses 14 through 15 will be communicating the message. And I call that the four hows. The four hows. Uh, they're going to be call on him, believe in him, preach of him, and sent by him. That's the four hows. Verses 16 through 17 is reacting to the message. And there's two, two issues that come out there. There's disobedience and there's faithfulness. Reacting to the message in disobedience, reacting to the message in faithfulness. And then the last major heading is uh, responding to the message. That's going to be verses 19 through 21. Uh, and I'm going to look at the message understood, the message received, and then the message rejected. So let's just walk through that. Here's the first one, communicating the message, the four hows. Uh, 14 and 15 says, how then will they call on him 
in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear with someone, without someone preaching? And then verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So let me, let me cover one thing real quick. I, I said earlier there, there's a little bit of misunderstanding about these verses, especially verse number 14, 15, I mean. What does it mean to preach? What does it mean to preach? Now here's the essence of the word that Paul is using here in these two verses. Uh, the essence of the word to preach means to proclaim. Uh, it means to announce a message publicly and with conviction. It means to have the intent to convey a message in a manner that is persuasive, to proclaim, to have conviction, to be persuasive. That's what it means to preach. Through, throughout the ministry of Jesus during his public ministry on earth, and continuing on following his resurrection and the birth of the church, those who had received the gospel message were responsible to share the good news with others in a clear and persuasive manner. And that responsibility continues to this day. Anyone and everyone who has been redeemed by faith through the gospel of Jesus Christ is to preach to others. And just in case you missed it, that means you. That means everyone in this room who has been touched and redeemed by the work of Christ, it's your responsibility to preach the word in a manner that is persuasive, in a manner that is clear to whomever the Lord brings your way because you are a herald of the good news that has come to this world. Amen, brothers and sisters? I often say when I, I ask a question, this means yes, and that means no. Amen, brothers and sisters? Amen. All right, I see a lot of heads bobbing out there. That's good. I appreciate that you're with me. Now, Here's another issue around preaching. Paul is not limiting the responsibility to proclaim the message to only those select men who have been called to shepherd or pastor the flock. You know, we call those men elders here at West Park. Paul is addressing his remarks first to the Jews, first to the Jews who had miserably failed in carrying out this responsibility. And by to every member of the church, both Jews and Gentiles. We are God's chosen instrument of delivering his message to the world. And just so that we don't miss the point, we don't need to miss this point, guys. It's not our message. It's his message. We, we are certainly free to tell our testimony of how God's message has impacted our lives. And that's why our individual story is so precious to us about how we came to know the Savior, about how he has impacted 
our lives. That's my story, and I'm going to tell it. But it's my story about his message. We're not free to make up a message on our own. If, if your story doesn't line up with the gospel story, guess who's got to change? It's not the gospel. Because, it's, it's because the gospel is a simple message. Let's not mess it up. All right? Uh, and, but, but here's an interesting little thing. Sometimes we need a little help in getting our thoughts together about how to tell our stories. Uh, there's a well-known movement among the faith. It was called Evangelism Explosion. Everybody, anybody hear that? I'm looking for a bunch of the hands to go up now. <laughs> Everybody knows about evangelism explosion. Where there are two key questions that were associated with evangelism explosion. The first is, do you know for sure that you're going to be with God in heaven one day? Are you sure that you're going to be with God in heaven one day? That's the first question. The second question is, if God were to ask you why, he should let you into his heaven, what would you say? Now, these two questions help us to discern and diagnose where people are spiritually and what they are trusting in for eternal life. Now, along with those two little questions, which are big questions, I've kind of added a couple more my own. I know you guys are waiting for these. So here, here are the two that I've kind of added on uh, to the questions from evangelism explosion. And here's the reason why I did that. My goal, by adding these couple questions on, is to gain information not only if a person thinks they're going to heaven and why they think they should be led into heaven, but here's what I also am looking for. Here's what I'm digging for. I'm digging to understand what has been the impact since they've come to know the Savior. And, and, and so I asked two additional questions. And here, here's what the questions are. Number three, what has been the biggest lasting, underscore the word lasting, what has been the biggest lasting change that has occurred in your life since accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Now, why do I ask that? Somebody said, well, Al, why do you ask that question? Well, here's why. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man be in, he is a new, and behold, the old is passing away and the new is becoming. Here's, here's a core element that reflects the reality that Christ is working in your life. You're not what you used to be. Now, you're not what you're going to be, amen? But there's got to, and given the opportunity, given the chance to live just a little while longer, somebody ought to say, Alice changed. I wonder why. You know, the thief on the cross was never given that opportunity. Uh, praise God. Uh, Jesus said to him, this day you will be with me in paradise. Uh, but I'm looking at a bunch of redeemed people, and I know I've seen most of you at least two weeks. And in that two weeks' time, I would anticipate that I've seen some change. Here's the deal. Don't trust me to give testimony that there's been some change in my life. You know what you ought to do? 
You ought to go ask that lady. That's sitting right over there. You ought to ask her, has he changed any at all? Because I remember when. And if she can't say, well, just a little bit, then I'm in serious trouble. Because what does Jeremiah say? The heart's dark, wicked. None of us truly know who we are. But just live life with somebody. Fall in love with somebody. Start living with somebody. And then come along and say, has he changed? And my conviction is this. If you have indeed met the Savior, you're no longer the same. There's something about you that is different. So that's, that's the essence of question number three. Well, there's one more question I had. Because look, if, if, Christ, if Christ has changed your life, Paul says that you will confess. You will verbalize what has gone on. And that's question number four. If the Lord presented you with the opportunity to explain the gospel to a lost neighbor or family member or friend, I just pick neighbors. But if you are given the opportunity to share the gospel to a lost neighbor, what would you say? What would you say? Four questions. Do you know that you're going to heaven? Why should you go to heaven? Why should God let you in? What is the evidence in your life that you truly have been changed? And are you able to explain the gospel clearly, truthfully, persuasive to someone that the Lord has said to you? Now, it's amazing to me how many believers, including seasoned believers, they just trip up over those questions. It's, it's both amazing and just a bit disheartening. And, and you know, uh, which of those four questions are often the hardest for believers to answer in a faithfully biblical manner? I think it's question two and four. Why should you go to heaven? Now, the next words that come out of your mouth, about why you should go together should be nothing about what you did. If going to heaven in your mind begins with, well, I did, that's a problem. It's a big problem. There's only one reason I'm going to heaven. It's because Jesus died on the cross as my substitutionary replacement for my sins. And it's because of his righteousness and because he said I could come that I'm going. That's the only reason. That's the answer to number two. Baba number four, are you able to truly explain the gospel clearly and truthfully? And that's where I find a lot of difficulty with believers in explaining the gospel. So if God gave you that opportunity uh, to minister to a lost saver, a lost neighbor, what would you say? Uh, where Terry and I live, uh, they're building a house across the street from us. And uh, the other day we were walking the neighborhood and we walked by and, and, and Terry reminded me how important it was that we start praying right now for whatever family will move into that home. That God would give us the opportunity, one, 
If they're believers, we're going to figure out a way to get them to West Park because we know how to disciple people here. And every believer needs to know how to, needs discipling. But second, if God gives us the glorious opportunity to share the gospel, that we're ready with our story, that, we, that we've written our elevator speech, uh, that in, a, in the briefest of moments, we can tell them about the Savior that they desperately need because they're dead in their trespasses and sin. You, beloved, you are God's messenger. And you can't carry what you don't know. And you can't share the simple gospel message if you don't know that simple message and are able to share it with others. Amen, brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. Let me see some heads bobbing. Amen. So let me move on to the verses 16 through 17. Uh, reacting to the message. So here, 16 and 17, but, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has delivered what he has heard from us? Who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Now, as Paul is dealing with this, uh, these, uh, this passage uh, in these particular verses, uh, there's there's two things that happen in how people respond or respect, re react to the message, either in disobedience or in faithfulness. And so again, throughout the letter, Paul is, is presenting the evidence that by disobedience, the Jews had rejected the message of justification by faith alone. Sadly, so sad, many of the nation of Israel to this day, continue to reject the Christ. But on the other hand, praise be the God, many have heard and by faith alone have come to put their full trust in the message of the cross. And what is that message again? That by faith alone, through Christ alone, as communicated in the gospel alone, we have been justified by faith through the work of Christ alone to become the children of God. You know, that, that, that message leaves none of us with any reason to boast. A prideful Christian simply does not exist. We should be ready, humbly and clearly, to share the saving message of Jesus Christ to all people. So quickly, let me, let me finish up with this brief overview of chapter 10. Look at verses 19 through 21, uh, responding to the message. The message misunderstood, verse 19. The message, message received in verse 20. The message rejected in verse 21. Now, once again, Paul laments Israel's response to the message of the gospel. First, it's obvious the message was misunderstood in verse 19, and it was rejected in verse 21. And 19 says, but I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. 
with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then skip down to verse 21. But of Israel, he says, all day long. My mom used to say that to me. Boy, all day long, I've been telling you what to do, and you still don't do it. That's what my mom used to say to me. I'm so glad I've changed. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, it's, it's clear that Paul is grieving that most of his fellow Jews have misunderstood the message of the gospel. And as a consequence, they've rejected it. Looking back on Deuteronomy chapter 32, specifically verse 21, Paul points to the frustration Moses experienced over the disobedience of Israel. Right before his death, Moses preached to the nation, declaring the troubles that would fall on them if they did, if they did not faithfully follow God. Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 31, 29, for I know that after my death, you will surely act corruptedly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the works of your hands. Works, righteousness. Those were prophetic words. Israel would indeed fall into idol worship. They would corrupt the law that had been given to them. They would turn from faith to works. Hundreds of years after God had sent Moses, the lawgiver, he would send them the prophets to proclaim and continue to proclaim the very same message. And to prove his point, Paul would quote Isaiah, who proclaimed, who preached, who proclaim clearly and concisely and with persuasion that God would declare that Israel was a disobedient and contrary people. Both Moses and Isaiah lamented that Israel would not understand God's message, and as a result, they would, he would reject, they would reject his acts of self-righteousness. Oh, but on the other hand, Paul shouts in verse 20, then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have found by those who do not seek me, I have shown myself to those who do not ask for me. Uh, the Bible declares that God's word will never return to him void. Isaiah would go on to say in Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The Jewish nation its religious leaders have rejected that message, but God's not deterred. He has a people that he is determined to save, and indeed, that is exactly what God did. That is the good news. Uh, Paul reminds us in Romans 3, verses 10 through 12, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned away. 
Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. You are foolish indeed and ignorant. If you think that somehow you have earned the right for God to save you. None of us can say that. But aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that in spite of being dead in our transgressions and sin, that through grace alone, God has elected to save you. That's the good news. I know I am. I know I'm so humble and grateful. I pray that each one of you are as well. So let me close this. I'm going to close this with uh, something I call a, a public service announcement. Okay? Uh, I'm thankful for your patience. You've been sitting there patiently, listening to a guy with ugly feet. And I appreciate that. But I want to leave you with this one last point of application. You know, just as Rome invested heavily in building roads to get information flowing quickly and effectively across the empire, humanity has continued to build fast and effective communication systems. Now, one of those systems is the alerts that go out to the public ahead of any pending danger that would threaten the public welfare. You know, we call them public service announcements, PSAs. You know, our type of PSAs are severe weather alerts. We've been having a lot of those lately, just in case you missed it. Uh, we've seen that uh, terrible, terrible weather go across our nation. Many people have lost their lives, including here in the state of Tennessee. But you know, here's the sad thing. Unfortunately, sometimes the alerts don't get out at all. And often, they don't get out in time. They don't get out at all. They don't get out in time. And when that happens, many people could potentially lose their lives. A breakdown in one of these systems is truly devastating. And sadly, part of the issue, the issue is that equipment often fails. And yes, sometimes these failures occur because people make mistakes. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God has issued a PSA that is not subject to equipment failure or human mistakes. God's PSA announcement will get out no matter what. And what is the PSA that God has issued? It's the gospel message. It is a message that will never fail to accomplish God's purposes. And even sometimes, if an individual, if an individual believer fails to carry out their designated assignment as a PSA, gospel messenger, that won't stop God from making sure that the word gets out to all of humanity. God always has a remnant ready to be obedient to the stand and the call for the gospel. So here's the question I want to leave with you guys today. Will you stand ready to be God's 
faithful PSA gospel messenger. I hear a lot of hooping and hollering right now. Yay! Are you ready to stand and to go as God's faithful PSA gospel messenger? No, God will use. God will use a messenger to proclaim his message. Why don't you be the one to respond to that call? Preach it, brothers and sisters. Proclaim the truth of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we have the glorious opportunity. Father, we've got the glorious opportunity of being the one that you can call to carry forth your public service announcement. Lord, this world needs it. We live in a dark world that's full of danger, full of turmoil, full of strife and division. We, need a, we have a world, Lord, that needs to hear the saving message of the simple gospel. Faith alone, through Christ alone, we are justified to become sons and daughters of God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.